Welcome to Feeding the Flock. And our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 11. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin by reading in verse 11 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, where it says this. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we are still in this section of chapter 2 where uh, Paul is talking about our position in Christ. And chapter 1 talks about it in terms of a body with the head in control of the body and uh, various uh, members of that body. And uh, now in chapter 2, we are a part of a temple. That is our new position in Christ. And we'll get to that later on in future episodes. But right now, Paul is making his way toward that point. Uh, and uh, these are some of the verses and some of the ideas that Paul wants to get across in order to uh, to get to the point that we now are a part of God's work and we are in relationship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in chapter 3, uh, he continues on with describing this position in Christ in terms of a mystery. Uh, and a mystery isn't... Uh, um, the kind of thing that we think of uh, that you know, we have to figure out some clue or some riddle or uh, some uh, something that we don't know or something that takes uh, a lot of brain work to uh, to try to piece together the pieces. But uh, this uh, the mystery that uh, Paul speaks about later in chapter three is a is a biblical mystery in this in the sense that in the Old Testament it was not fully revealed, but now in the New Testament it has been revealed, and so that's the reason why he terms it as a mystery, and we'll get to that in chapter 3, of course. But right now, we are still talking about this, this new place we have, this new position we have in Christ uh, based upon the fact that we are uh, we have a new condition in Christ in the first half of chapter 2, and now we have a new relation in Christ with uh, verses 11 through 22. Now, that new relation in Christ means that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's uh, the passage we just read. Now, the next passage, verses 14 through 18, is one body through the cross. And again, he carries forward this same theme of being a body and uh, Christ is our head, but uh, he does so in referring to the fact that we are one body, not uh, several uh, parts of a body in the sense of uh, 
or of several bodies uh, in the sense of uh, the organization or structure of God's work on earth. And uh, so we'll get to that uh, later on. And then, and then it says in verses, uh, verses 19 through 22 of chapter 2, we are built together in the Spirit as a unified temple. And that's uh, that, of course, is where our, uh, our main theme for the chapter is um, coming from is the way Paul concludes this chapter. So he doesn't introduce the uh, the idea of temple right away, but that's where he's headed. And uh, that is a figure that many of the people uh, would have recognized, especially the Jewish people would have definitely recognized that image and that idea. So he says then in verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you. So this is something that Paul wants them to recall. This is something to to bring back into their memory, uh, again, relating the contrast between who they were before they met Christ. And this has continued to be. Now, before he talked about more of the moral issues and... um, and now he's talking about more about the uh, the ethnic issues or uh, uh, perspective considered about the the covenant issues, and uh, that's what he was getting at, getting at here uh, in this particular verse. He's making this transition of what's going on. Remember that uh, all of these things that Paul is about to get into and that he's already really talked about, he's introduced uh, some of these things in a, in sort of a germ form, you might say, or a seed form. Uh, remember that uh, that this is a former Pharisee at the pinnacle of his career in Judaism, and now he speaks to these Gentile believers, to this congregation in Ephesus, uh, with this kind of authority and this kind of uh, complete perspective now that he sees these things and and the Spirit of God is revealing these things to him to reveal to these Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah. And so he begins by saying, this is who you were. And that's what he's, uh, that's the categories he's using here as, as Gentiles. You were formerly not just immoral and sinners by transgression. That's what he brought up uh, in the earlier uh, passage or uh, the trespasses and sins. That's where we lived. That's uh, even though we may not have have carried out all of those things in our flesh, and yet they were a part of our heart. They were a part of who we were uh, because we were of Adam's race. We were descended from a fallen uh, human being, and therefore we are fallen. We are incomplete. We are uh, carrying forward this this sin nature, and uh, that is our propensity. That is our natural structure, our natural uh, inclinations, and uh, it's a powerful inclination and cannot be broken except through Christ, and that's exactly where Paul is getting at here. But but before he does so, he's speaking of uh, this ethnic issue, and uh, it is it is a prescribed ethnic issue by God Himself, by the way, and so. Uh, even though these Gentile believers are reminded that, first of all, they formally walked and formally lived in this uh, capacity as sinners, even though some of them may have been more more uh, uh, upright than others or more sophisticated than others or maybe more uh, uh, closer to... Uh, 
to things that uh, you might consider to be religious, uh, yet uh, in their own sphere of operation, they still lived there without Christ. And as Gentiles, they were without Christ. And that's what Paul is getting at. You were Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, that means as far as the uh, uh, the physical um, structure of their human bodies, they were still uh, considered to be Gentiles. And in this case, it had a specific nomenclature. It had a specific title or category as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And even the Gentiles understood some of this uh, technical uh, terminology. And it's quite graphic, you might say. And yet was it was the thing that characterized them and that distinguished them from each other. Who And it says, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So the people, the only people that were uh, under the experience of uh, of being circumcised uh, as an infant or as a proselyte were those who were subscribing themselves to the Jewish uh, religion. And uh, that is exactly what was prescribed by God, in fact. And uh, that was given as a mark of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the tribes of Israel. It was reinstituted by Moses in the wilderness, and and it was reinstituted from time to time so that the Jewish people were known by this particular surgical operation. But the surgery was done by human hands. And that's what Paul, the former Pharisee, is reminding his audience and anybody else that's reading this passage that uh, this is a human construction on a human level in a physical, material way. And uh, so regardless of whatever else was attached uh, to that surgical uh, procedure, it still is merely a surgical procedure, and uh, the, its only meaning and its only purpose was because of the association with it. And so he wants you to know that he completely understands this is a material thing. This isn't a spiritual thing. It's not a heart thing. Uh, this is a material uh, surgical procedure. And so he goes on. Uh, in, and uh, and uh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. And so the, these are the things that God himself in his word put forth as a part of um, uh, signifying the covenant members of the earthly covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in fact, this was a, a very clear division that God himself had made with the Jewish people uh, as being separate from the Gentiles. And um, in fact, in uh, uh, Miletus, in the theater in Miletus near Ephesus, there was a discover there was discovered this inscription there. It says, for Jews and God-fearers only. And God-fearers refers to those Gentile proselytes who were interested in, they were seekers after the God of Israel. In the Jewish temple itself, it's it gets even stronger because in Jerusalem, in the Jewish temple, there was a wall separating the, the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women, uh, the Jewish women, and the court of the, the Jewish people. And uh, on that wall was a placard that said, let no one of another nation enter within the fence and enclosure round the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death 
ensues. So this was like capital punishment. And uh, basically, it's putting out the warning there that if, if, uh, if you uh, undergo capital punishment for going beyond this uh, this perimeter here, then uh, you have your yourself to blame for it. Um, and so uh, this kind of uh, ethnic division, even though it was prescribed by God, was was implemented and orchestrated by the Jewish people as far as first century uh, Judaism was concerned uh, with uh, no purpose that uh, God had intended it for. And uh, what he intended the whole Jewish system to do was to reach the Gentiles, not separate them. They were, they were to, to reach the Gentiles with the message of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, um, and yet uh, they misapplied much of it as a, as a superiority kind of thing and uh, definitely uh, looked down their noses and, in fact, uh, uh, were constantly on the lookout for anyone who violated uh, being separated from the Gentiles. And um, so this was ingrained in the mentality and the spirituality that was there. And, and so he says this was all true in many regards as far as Gentiles were concerned. You were at that time separate from Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew idea or the Hebrew person of the Jewish Messiah. And so the Gentiles had no hope of seeing the Jewish Messiah because it was for the nation of Israel. Well, we'll be back right after this musical interlude. So then we find that um, according to Genesis chapter 17 in the covenant that God made um, there, it says, this is my covenant. This is verse 10 of Genesis 17. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So this was something God orchestrated. He initiated this to make them his earthly covenant people. And uh, in fact, when Peter, uh, I'm sorry, when Peter came uh, in uh, Acts chapter 11, verses two and three, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. So there was this clear ethnic division that was still being perpetrated even among those who claimed uh, to know Christ uh, as their Savior and their Lord. And uh, there was still this misunderstanding and would continue on. That's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this book, this letter to Ephesus. And uh, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, 
verses uh, four and five, it says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day. That means that Paul is saying uh, that as far as his Judaism, his Judaism is concerned, uh, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, that uh, uh, that this was authentic for him. In other words, it was the eighth day from his birth. That means he was born Jewish. That means he had a Jewish mother and father who took him to synagogue and had him circumcised on the eighth day. And uh, that's what he's boasting about, you see. But he's saying later in verse 7 in that same uh, chapter in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 7, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul had to go through this mental and spiritual and, um, and ethnic transformation from the inside out. He had to completely look at the things around him and the people around him from completely new lenses, a new prescription uh, on his eyes, spiritually speaking. And uh, uh, that's what he's trying to get across here. And he's, of course, communicating this idea to Gentiles who were now a part of Christ. They, before they came to Christ, they were separate from Messiah and separate from everything that inclu- was included in the promises of the Messiah in the covenant uh, and the covenants to Israel. He says, you were separate from Messiah. That's what he's saying there in, uh, uh, in verse what verse is that? Verse 12. And it says, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So that's the second thing. You were separate from Messiah. You were excluded from the uh, commonwealth of Israel. You had no part, Gentile speaking, uh, in the nation of Israel. And that's what he's talking about from a, from a, um, from a national perspective, a covenant perspective. You were not under the covenant of the Messiah, or under the covenant of the nation of Israel. So that meant you were excluded. And uh, this was an exclusive thing to be a part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the tribes descended from them. And uh, uh, Ephesians later on, verses 17 and 18, chapter 4, of Ephesians. Uh, Paul comes back to the same idea. He says, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So he's constantly exhorting these Gentile believers to live differently than they did before. You are not uh, any longer without Messiah. And uh, he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, there was a past, and he wants to put the past in the past, as far as these Gentile believers, followers of the Jewish Messiah is concerned. And uh, what he's contrasting is you had no hope of Messiah, you had no national covenant with uh, the nation of Israel is concerned, and you were what? You were strangers to the covenants of promise. There were many covenants given by God to humankind, and uh, yet as Gentiles, they were outside of many of those covenants. Now, you might say that uh, God's covenant to Adam in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 24, that covenant was, um, was something that uh, you might say 
by being human and descendants of Adam, that made us a part of that covenant. Um, And as far as Noah was concerned, when he exited the ark in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, is the covenant that God made with Noah. And so those human beings left on earth after the flood, is uh, they are all under that covenant, and that includes us, even Gentiles. But beginning with Abraham and then continuing on through Moses, that God made a covenant through Moses, and uh, that's called the law of Moses. And um, and then there's the covenant that God made with Levi and the Levitical covenant of the priesthood there. Uh, there was also the Palestinian covenant. That, that's what it's called anyway. That meant that God gave them this land. That was a covenant of land to the nation of Israel. Uh, the Gentiles had no part of the, any of these covenants. There was the covenant of David. That meant that God promised David uh, his descendants would reign in Jerusalem and reign over the Jewish people. Uh, The Gentiles were not a part of that covenant. Uh, There is a new covenant, and uh, that's the one where the Gentiles get included, because why? It's included in our relationship to the Messiah, and that is our turning point for us here. And, And that's exactly what Paul is saying. That's where we were at one time, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. That's another thing. That's the fourth thing he said that characterized our position and our condition and our relation and our ethnic status as Gentiles. Uh, We were without hope. Uh, Being persecuted, Paul says uh, uh, to his persecutors in Acts chapter 26, uh, verse 7, he says, and for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. So he says it is the hope that has been there all along. And uh, Paul says, that's why I am here. And the hope is, of course, the salvation. And uh, the hope is the resurrection. And Paul is being persecuted because of his belief in the resurrection, particularly in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, making Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah. Uh, Acts chapter 28, again, he says, uh, I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Well, as Gentiles, we were excluded from that hope. We were outside of that hope. And in fact, the fifth thing is without God in the world. And that word there in the Greek that without God is um, is the Greek word that we get uh, we get the English terminology for atheist out of that word without God uh, atheos and uh, and and yet uh, that means no God there was no relationship to the eternal living personal uh, designer creator God and uh, now it doesn't mean that the the Romans and the Gentile culture uh, were were completely atheist in the technical sense of the term uh, as it is today, um, because that culture was riddled with uh, with pantheism and paganism, and so they did worship gods. They had gods aplenty, but. Uh, that's not Paul's point here. Uh, they are without the God, and because of that, then then these gods that they worship are nothing more than just bondages. They're empty bondages that have attracted them and as and have held them. Uh, and in fact, that's what he says in Galatians chapter four, verse eight. How, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which 
by nature, that is, uh, are no gods. And so their religion was wrapped up in these false gods. And by doing so, even Paul calls them, they were operating on the, on the schematic of atheism. And, uh, and uh, that was basically where the category was. But then, verse 13, we have a uh, uh, but now statement, you see. And uh, uh, earlier in verse 4, but God statement, you see, in verse 4 of chapter 2. And so uh, Paul is wanting to make this contrast. But now uh, there is this new relationship. And that new relationship is in Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, if you want to put it that way, uh, because that's what Paul, the uh, former Pharisee, is talking about. His Messiah, his Jewish Messiah, Jesus, has now done something. And because he's done something, it is a universal something. This something that the Jewish Messiah has done has, has uh, is all-encompassing. Anyone that's, that has blood in their veins can come to Jesus. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, we had a distance. And um, so his contrast was that we were Christless, we were statusless, we were promiseless, we were hopeless, we were godless, but now we have been brought near uh, because of Christ. And so God took the initiative in his son, and now being in his son means we have a status and an, and an ethnic definition. We have an identity that didn't belong to us uh, beforehand. And uh, uh, we have, we have uh, something that, that is uh, broader than, and bigger and more unifying. It says, be, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased in his own blood. Um, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, whom, uh, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and, or gold, from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. He's talking about Jewish people there. But verse 19 says, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah, the blood of Christ. That's what Peter wrote about. And so that's where we find ourselves. As believers, we have been redeemed by the same blood. It is a human blood. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that, uh, that the physical blood of Jesus carries some sort of magical powers. It does mean that he suffered a violent death, a substitute violent death, and he substituted himself in our place voluntarily so that when he bled out and lost his physical life there on the cross, he was doing so as the payment for all of our sins. All those who are sinners have been paid by the blood of Christ. And now that you have become believers in that blood, you've trusted that Jesus died for your sins, then because of that, you've been brought near. You don't have to stand at a distance from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't have to feel left out because, because the Jewish people may have had something special. You now have their Messiah who took your place 
and died for your sins. What a blessing we have. And that is what Paul is trying to get out here. And he has much more to say as we get through the rest of this chapter. May God bless these words to your heart. Father, thank you for this passage today that describes perhaps who we were before we came to Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Before we came to Him as the payment for our sin, we were lost. We were outside. We were of no account until we came to Him. And now we stand on equal footing because of what He has done for us. We stand in Him. And because we stand in Him, we stand shoulder to shoulder with everybody else who are in Him as well, with no superiority and no inferiority. We thank you for Him. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.